and we are live for another exciting episode of First Strike. It's your host, KYT. Before we start the show, we'll plug our sponsor, FaceToFaceGames.com, the number one place to get your Magic of the Gathering singles this week. 15% off all high-end scanned cards. So if you're a baller, definitely check that out. Get 15% off a lot of the baller cards uh, that are on our site right now. We got we got a packed show. We got Andrew Huska, who topped 16 uh, this past uh, Mythic Championship. And now we also got John, Andy, as usual, and Shaheen. And uh, these guys have busy lives, so we're just trying to get them in and out as quickly as possible while having John giving us some, some pioneer insight or modern insight. But uh, let's go straight to Andy. Andy, I mean, what happened, my man? What happened? What went well, down? Well, I... Uh... I started. Uh, I lost the first round, and then two won the draft. With a, I thought it was I had a very good deck, and then I uh, lost the first round of constructed, and I started to get real sad. But then I won the the next the next few, so I ended up I five three day one, which is a totally fine record. And I was like pretty happy with myself, and I was excited to draft again because I felt like I had a pretty big edge. And then I ended up o uh, three in the draft. And I've never o three to a draft at a competitive like level before, or even one dude. And I just it was devastating, honestly. It was crazy. I didn't think I didn't think my deck was good, but the power level of everyone else's decks at my table was just sky high. And so my <laughs> deck, being like a below average draft deck, just got absolutely munched. And to make matters worse, I was at the last pod. So I would get paired against people who were not necessarily the same record in the draft as me. So okay. what would happen is I'm 0-1 in the draft. I play against someone who's 1-0 with a crazy deck. And then I'm 0-2 in the draft, and I get paired against Alex Hain, who has a really good red-green deck. And it's just kind of, I don't know, things just did not break my way in that draft. And then I lost the first round of Constructed and just went back to the Airbnb and took a nap. <laughs> That is interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you don't face the sa- like a person with your the same draft record because of how that worked, right? Hmm. It usually works out that you will, but it's just we happen to be at the last pod, so people had different records. So what do you think? What was like run bad in terms of like how the draft itself went, or people just opened better? Like how how, how do you explain the O three? So I think I uh, so I pack one picked one outlaws merriment. And I was like, really wanted that card to work. So I started taking uh, cards in that color. And then blue started flowing. So I started taking all the blue cards. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to end up being blue-black. So I took a couple black cards. And then I got like a good late red card or a white card. Yeah, and I was like, oh, what if I'm blue-white? And then I could splash the merriment. And so then I uh, moved into blue-white. So I ended up like changing directions a couple times in the draft. And I prepared myself for that by picking some like colorless playables. But what ended up happening is that I had like uh, just ended up with a weaker deck because I had like bounced back and forth on what my plan was during the draft. Okay. And so like in the middle of the end of pack two, I decided that I had to be blue, white, splash, red because the, my power level was low. And then so I have to splash the merriment. And so then things just got a little weird. And I ended up with like not a lot of good creatures, so I couldn't block well. And that ended up being, I think, my biggest downfall. I think my deck was okay. It just needed a bit more uh, bigger creatures. So how, how did you feel about your, your early constructed choice? You didn't pilot it. It went pretty well? It's hard to say it didn't go well. We picked, we picked an Oko deck, and 
we knew right away, like, at least I did, that I was going to be playing an Oko deck almost for sure. And uh, I don't know, like, we were like, the last second, we're really struggling on whether we should just play a Saltai or Simic. And then we played a bunch of games, and post-board, the Simic deck was just crushing the Saltai deck. And, like, so we kept, like, even switching the players, switching and, like, talking about it, whether we felt like we got lucky or unlucky and stuff like that. And it all just led to the, the Simic deck beating the Saltai deck post-board based on the power of a... Uh, Veil of Summer is extremely good versus Saltai, but it's not extremely good versus Simic. Okay. So you get to, like, board in veils if you're simic but uh, the other deck doesn't too doesn't and when you get like to have a bunch of cryptic commands in your deck against the other deck the tempo loss is too much and basically if you ever got yourself into a spot you just like draw go or like kind of nickel and dime threats and make sure you keep some mana up and then you just land nissa with veil up and you can't lose and that was kind of our strategy in the mirror and we won a lot because of it and uh yeah i would say i'm i'm really happy with our constructed choice uh it's hard to say we didn't nail it when the finals was like two Simic decks. So you're pretty happy with 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 your deck choice and, and I guess pretty happy that the, the format will likely change before uh, December? <laughs> yeah, like it, the, the format was super skill intensive, which you can see based on like the absolute sickos who made top eight. But uh, I'm glad to see it go because while like the games that are games are super skill intensive, there's just some snowball games that like end in two minutes and no one, the one person just never had a chance. Like the turn one goose, turn two Oko and turn three, do anything, absolutely anything. And you're probably going to win the game. All right. And so I'm glad to see it change. I don't know what happens from here, but. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll let you Shaheen, jump in a bit here. Cause your boy, your boy, former, I guess poster boy of uh, Team Face to Face when we, we still had a pro team, Ely Cassis, still writing for us. Top aided MC Richmond. And I, I think you were there, right? When I asked you if you were in Richmond, I meant like if you were physically there, I guess. But we're, we're, I saw pictures of you. So you were there? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was there in spirit. And <laughs> okay. <laughs> I played in the tournament. Didn't go well for me. But um, <clears throat> yeah, Ely Top Aided was great. Uh, he's worked, you know, his butt off for, for years. I mean, for, I'll say for the better part of a decade that we've known each other, um, we've always been around the same skill level and, uh, performance level. And, um, about two years ago, he's like, you know what, I'm going to give it my all. And he is just ballooned, skyrocketed. I mean, the man can't lose. He's won three GPs, I think, and invitational and, now topping a pro tour he's he's clearly at that elite level of play and unfortunately for him uh he's a bit of a sucker because he agreed to a lifetime 20 percent split with me and um <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i've been getting pretty rich off it so <laughs> wow what? wow yeah. you made out well what that deal what what is he doing <laughs> <laughs> well here's how it works so when i'm on my decline you know and he's on his rise I um threw the life raft out and you know he just decided to hey yeah I'll split with you. I mean he's a psychiatrist, he makes like hundred fifty dollars an hour, <laughs> whatever. He he doesn't need it. It makes it feel good, it makes everyone feel good. I mean I'm just you know, he's my uh, my sugar daddy, so yeah. <laughs> were you were you there for I I don't remember, were you there for the M C or, or the GP to support him and, and I played both. I played okay. the MC, I, I uh was bullied out of Esper control, so the day before I switched to 
uh, food deck and um, got absolutely manhandled because I am um, I had no practice one and two. I just whenever I pick up the best deck, I do not give it my all. I do not put the time into it. And you know, with all these mirror matches, I was just outclassed. My first round, I mean, I won. Actually, I won all three game ones, which is pretty funny. But then game two, um, as the boards got a little more confusing and cluttered and uh, I sideboarded incorrectly, I would look down, there's like, you know, three Oko uh, Elk style things out, lands with counters on it. I'm trying to figure out the combat math. My brain is melting. I'm drooling. I'm like, I, I, I'm just not equipped for these types of board states. I've played <laughs> uh, 20 years of Magic where I honestly play a very simplistic linear style of deck where I know what I'm doing with my counter spells and my removal. And when I looked at these mid range mirrors, it was, it was mind rotting for me. I, I could play mono red and I can play control. And when I try to, or combo. And then when I try to play these mid range decks and uh, hit mirror matches, it gets pretty ugly for me. So um, I switched to Esper for the Grand Prix, start off five, uh, start off hot. With two buys and three zero, beat Solta or beat uh, Solta food three times, swept it three times. Because um, Esper, like I really, I really thought, I really believe I nailed it with Esper control. I really thought I could. I was beating it online nonstop. Um, I posted a list, got made fun of in the group chat, team chat. So <laughs> I was like, you know, at this point, everybody's on Twitter, everyone's playing Oko. So I'm just like, all right, I'll try it out, and. Uh, I, I 5 0 the GP, then lost back to back to um, the Witch's Oven Trail of Crumbs deck. I actually lost to Abe, the eventual winner of the Grand Prix, um, in a couple close games because of Trail of Crumbs. I couldn't beat that. But because it wasn't prevalent in the Pro Tour with the championship, I, I think if I would have played Esper, I would have had a really, really strong day because I was demolishing. Um, that that matchup so i really should have just played that to be honest what which version uh which min main i missed missed a mid-range deck that you play in in the uh championship you play salt type food oh salt type food um but Ely went off the beaten path a little right he he played golgari adventures yeah he didn't get a, you know and the funny thing is he didn't really get a lot of practice with it he just played a few leagues and uh he thought that just by you know holistically that his match was was pretty good against these decks and he was very comfortable with it. He, he took a winning list and changed like four cards and you know every time he does that where he plays like a main deck um, and does a little tweaking to it he does really well. Whenever he plays his goofy stuff he usually gets mushed. But um, yeah, so he he's definitely the caliber player now that can just pick up the best deck and uh, run with it or pick up a deck that has. A little bit of play to it against the best deck and run with it and put and deal with that deck. So. Did he mention in, in like the team chat why he picked this one? Like he felt it had good play against what he expected. He didn't really talk about it much. Um, <laughs> the, our team, our team chat was not. I mean, we were we were all pretty dejected about this tournament. Um, joining joining other major teams that just really wasn't. You know, our hearts weren't really into this. The rest of the team really sold themselves on uh, your a fellow Canadian uh, Lucas. Seattle, that's what? the one, and he he basically uh, sold our team fool's gold, advanced food, and everybody jumped on it. And they <laughs> all got destroyed. Gold. Um, but <laughs> he was, I mean, like honestly, it didn't really matter if he played Bant, Simic, Soltai. Obviously, Simic ended up being split with Soltai in the top eight. Um, but the Bant one was obviously a little bit on the weaker side, uh, just as far as results go. Uh, but you know, he they they decide on this. 
the team was ready. We played, we played some mirror matches online or they did. It was just, or, you know, no one's real, our hearts are really into it. And Ely and I are uh, preparing for next year's like uh, our big plans and big moves. So uh, we kind of just, this pro tour was going to be just a do our best with what was known. And he, um, you know, he spiked it. So nothing but, nothing but love for him and the two, two grand I won. So. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Let's, let's, I'm going to get Rob John in here. Let's go straight to the recent pioneer band, Veil Summer. Uh, John, your reaction, your take before I give it to these guys. Well, I'm sure Shaheen will probably agree with me in some capacity. Um, I've been saying that uh, I've been calling Veil Summer the uh, Green Elemental Blast, which uh, if, if you get the reference, it's a reference to the Blue and Red Elemental Blast in uh, Legacy. I think it's way too powerful and kind of really, really stifles a lot of decks uh, deceptively and like on the down low. Um, in Modern and Pioneer. Um, so I've actually been saying that Veil of Summer is too good for Modern, let alone Pioneer. So the fact that they banned it, eventually I think it's a very healthy thing for um, for uh, Pioneer. The timing and the order in which they did it in terms of not nerfing uh, Mono Green Devotion when it um, had like three of the top eight and like six or seven in the top 32 of the last challenge is a bit interesting to me. Uh, Mono Green Devotion has comp- uh, continued to dominate. Um, and like not hitting like a Nykthos, for example, is a bit uh, interesting to me. Um, but I definitely do agree with Veil's Veil Summer um, ban. I think it eventually had to go. It was stifling too many uh, too many decks, um, like control decks or discard decks. Like you, you can't even like play, play them in this uh, climate because of how prevalent Veil is and how much how uh, green is the best deck best color in Pioneer by far and if you recall like a deck like um, Bug or uh, Saltai Control or Midrange that was like tier one in week one all but disappeared because like mainly because of this I would believe so even though the timing is a bit weird I fully support um, the eventual ban of Veil Summer and just happened uh, way earlier than I would have expected so good for them. Right, I'll, I'll let you. I know Shaheen can go on and on, so uh, whoop, muted myself on, on the uh, other chat. I know Shaheen can go on and on, so uh, let's have Andy go first. <laughs> uh, my thoughts on Veil of Summer getting banned. Well, this card is absolutely ridiculous. I felt like it was like a gift to me, though. Like it was like Andy, you love to play mid range. You like to beat up black and control decks. Here you go, play this card. And for from here on out, you're the one casting Crypto Command. Um, I'm. I think it's probably it's got to be too powerful. It's it's just ridiculous. Like Veil of Summer, or yeah, the what the Autumn's Veil, the, whatever, the other one that just was the same but didn't draw a card was already like good and standard and like bordering on playability in other formats. And adding draw a card is just absolutely outrageous. And. Uh, it's just a lot of people out there just showing how little they value a card when they say like, oh, I can't believe this card got banned. And they're not realizing like, it's Cryptic Command <laughs> for, for one mana. <laughs> and it's it's so easy to leave up one mana. And I think that's uh, kind of the big problem with it. And, I, and maybe this solves the Green Devotion deck. Maybe now people can fight it with Counterspells or with something else. And maybe that's kind of what their thought was. And uh I don't know. It's like a reasonable stab to take to see if this can solve the devotion deck. 
Let me add here before Shaheen goes on, I will say that Autumn's Veil, the previous iteration of this uh, this card, uh, was significantly worse um, because one, it doesn't give yourself or your uh, permanence pet screw. So um, like any like any Assassin's Trophy on your Leyland Sanctity or Fulminator Mage on your lands or Tendrils of Agony uh, at you, that's lethal. Um, it, it really warped those types of games like to a point where like I know Storm players in Legacy have said that the mirror is now a joke because you have like Pulse Storm and Veil Summer to fight through and it's really tricky to do so. Um, so um, I, I think it, it is it is true that Autumn's Veil has seen like fringe consideration in modern, um, but uh, in, in addition to drawing the cards, there's a significantly larger number of applications with um, Summer's Veil that I think is like completely unreasonable. I'm sure Shaheen would agree. Take, take it away, big man. Oh, my turn? <clears throat> yeah, I agree with all of it. Um, I think that Brad said it best at the Pro Tour. I kind of barged in on a conversation with Brad Nelson and Cedric Phillips, and uh, Cedric, of course, is on the side of it doesn't need to be banned. We need to wait for We need more time, more time, more time. And Brad is goes into a, a very long tirade, and it's all rooted in fact about why Veil of Summer um, was a mistake and how it's ruined standard modern pioneer uh and even to some aspects it's uh, kind of impact legacy so again the, the people that made the card know it's a mistake it's been acknowledged um it's it, like john said it's not the actual act of that card it's the hidden damage it does uh, how it prevents archetypes from ever existing it prevents any kind of black mid-range deck in any format um control you'll see because people are stubborn and play control decks even though they're bad like yours truly here but mid-range control that or mid-range decks that play black removal are at an even bigger disadvantage because they rely on uh, adding to the battlefield while dealing with threats, and they can't deal with threats, and they're just playing into you know ground creatures into an infect army that's flying where they can't kill them because they have veil. Or if they try to remove uh, Urza while they're trying to combo, they have uh, veil now. So you you can't actually play those decks. Period. Like, if you play them, you're, you're just playing casual magic. You can't play Jund, you can't play um, Abzan or whatever. You can't play these decks that rely on removal uh, in these in these scenarios because you will lose this card, one card. Um, and that's just a modern example. Pioneer is a whole other animal, too. Thought Seeds being the premier hand disruption spell, Fatal Push being the best removal spell, neither are playable when this card's legal. Um, it prevents just sloths of deck building, prevents all types of... Uh, archetypes from ever existing in these formats so it has so much hidden damage under the layer and that's not even about the gameplay so when if you do try to play these removal spells as was mentioned before you saw that you know you have simic playing against Sultai and standard um you can't uh, the, the matchup got so skewed after board i found that out the hard way playing Sultai myself i lost a simic two of the three i think i lost a simic twice and bant once um, and perfect spot on. They were able to one mana crypt to command me, and there was never an opportunity. I, I felt like I had to bring in the gates to negate the veil to back up the noxious grasp, and that's just a silly way to play magic um, in, in that essence. So um, the ban is fantastic. It should never have existed. Um, I actually am not surprised by the ban. I'm a little upset by it because I think it should have happened on the, maybe in Pioneer it shouldn't have happened right away, but in Standard, uh, the last banning cycle when Field was gone, they should have banned Veil as well. Um, you know, I, I didn't really champion that because I, I honestly didn't believe that they ever would. I never thought there'd be the day 
where they would ban these cards because they've accepted they this is the new norm. Green draws all the cards, green counters all the spells. Green is the trump, has the, the best win conditions, the best card advantage, the best lands, everything. So I thought that this is just the direction we're moving in, and I was just kind of you know take it to, take it on the chin and just say, hey, this is the way it's gonna be. Um, but this ban in Pioneer is huge. It's huge because this is the uh, hint we received that they're going to ban this in standard and they're going to ban it in modern. I, this is my jump into my prediction coming up uh, with, with the bans that are coming up on the 18th, that they're going to ban this card in both other formats as well. Hmm. I have other ban predictions as well, too, if you'd like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love to hear. For sure. So you know, while, while I have the mic here. <laughs> so standard, they're going to ban Oko. Uh, I think they're going to ban Oko, Nissa, and Vale. I think they're going to go for the trifecta. And here's why. I think they're going to ban. I think they're going with a heavier hand now with these bannings. I think that they're going to once and for all um, eliminate these these uh, kind of these linear homogenous green decks that they believe are going to kind of take away the format. Um, if they don't ban Oko, they'll ban Nissa. If they don't ban Nissa, they'll ban Oko. I can see that being a scenario, but I 100% believe that Veil plus one of those are going to be the bans coming up, and I would not be shocked if all three get banned. In modern, they're going to ban Veil, I believe, and I think they're going to keep it around in Legacy. Um, that's that's kind of where my prediction is for this. Any predictions from you, John, on upcoming uh, ban cards? There's this like prevalent thought that if you just kill the food deck, like the Green X Adventure deck is going to run amok. And like even if that's true, I think it's fine. Um, I think a lot of people predicted that if you just ban just Golos in the form of Field of, Field of uh, the Dead, um, then food is going to run amok and, you know, it has. But I don't think, like, the food, the uh, adventure decks are high high, high power level or oppressive enough that it's going to be a problem if that's the case. So I would like to see the food deck get pecked down a notch. I think Veil and... I think Veil and Oko is probably the way to go. Oko is a legitimate multi-format all-star. It's won actual titles in all formats, going from uh, Pioneer to Standard to Modern Legacy and Vintage as well. It's like I've never seen a three mana playing walker really contort the way that people play the game. Um, it's it's been pretty incredible to watch. Um, but anyways, I think in standard, I think like my prediction will be Oko or uh, Oko and Veil. In modern, I agree with Shaheen's sentiments. However, uh, practically, I don't believe that they will ban Veil this time because like the problem is not nowhere near apparent, readily apparent, and there haven't been any like buzz about modern banning. Um, anywhere so even though i do agree that uh veil summer is too strong for modern i don't believe that it'll eat the ban at least this time or really anytime uh anytime soon unless like it it does become visibly apparent and any takes from from you on, on all of this on potential future bans i think uh i think Oko's gonna get banned i think uh it's yeah it's possible like if they're really hard they have their heart set on not banning Oko. Maybe they ban like Goose and Nissa or something. I think that might lower Oko's power level enough in standard. I'm not even sure, but I think uh, Oko got to go. It's uh, the best planeswalker of all time, and I never thought I would ever say that looking at it the first time. And uh, in modern, I I don't know. I don't care what they do really. <laughs> they could. Uh, I don't know, that blue-green uh, Urza deck kind of dominated the last tournament that I saw, which was that SCG. 
So hopefully that gets like put in check this week, or maybe something's got to go from that because it looks uh, pretty hard to beat. Because just basically on the power of Oko being like the best possible plan A in that deck, actually, it's I would call it the plan A. And I think uh, for other formats, they still probably just leave them alone. There's no reason to do anything, I don't think. But uh, I'm certainly not an expert on what should be done in like legacy or vintage. <laughs> I played vintage and Narset should probably go. If it's not already restricted or something, it's got to go. All right. Um, I got, I'll let you go, Andy. Any What's up for you uh, until the end of, I guess, 2019? I have uh, actually no clue if I have any like real tournaments to play in 2019. <laughs> so I think I'll just uh, finish school. <laughs> I heard that like a bunch of people got... Like John Stern, who good friend of ours, who uh, decided he was going to quit with all the news about disappointing news of, of pro magic, competitive magic. I think he, he decided to slowly disappear from, from the pro magic scene. But he got alerted this week. I don't know if it was at Richmond or during Richmond that uh, people in, was it silver and gold, would be qualified for the next one? Yeah, so, yeah uh, they announced it, uh, I think, round one that are actually right before the draft is uh, that anyone who was gold or silver this cycle or last cycle will get invited to the, the players tour, the regional one. So John and I have this joke for a while that I've wanted him to retire and move on to other endeavors. And then it's like, he's finally decided to quit and he messaged me, are you happy now? And then he gets this news and he's qualified again. So he's back in the game. Probably. He's back, baby. <laughs> He'll never leave. He'll never leave. Um, all right. Thanks. Thanks for coming on, Eddie. Let you go. All right. Shaheen, what's, what's, what's left for you? What's left for you? Um, that'll be the only professional magic tournament I play in from the wizard side. It's, um, that pro tour. I will be finishing the year out with, uh, GP Bologna in Italy. Whoa. So I'll be there for, yeah, I'll be there for a honeymoon a week after the Grand Prix with my wife. Um, then we're going to go there for that. I'll play in the, uh, the invitational this weekend as well, but I will be at the, that Grand Prix. Then I'll be at about, 10, 11, 12 opens next year, and I will be hitting the tour like I've advertised. And I'm going to see if uh, how much how much uh, gas we got left in the tank here. <laughs> but that news doesn't. I, I keep forgetting. I don't know what status you are anymore. That news doesn't affect you, does it? The... Yeah, I was gold, okay. so it, it gave me it gave me a re-invite. It gave me an invite to uh, Arizona, so I'll be there. But I, I kind of mentioned this on Twitter too, and this is something that. Uh, people people asked me about it. I've gotten a couple DMs about it um, because you know I, it was apparent that I kept fighting for this fractional invite system or some road. Remember, I've been on this show multiple times here on First Strike, trying to advertise and trying to fight for um, Wizards to provide a path for for people that don't win tournaments, for people that piece together and grind and want to want to make it to where I've made it and others made it. Um, and have that opportunity, and they 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 made it. They made something uh, palatable, and uh, then I end up saying I'm not going to play it at all. So people ask me why, and I told them, you know, I I don't have that, I don't have that drive. I don't have that uh, that the fire of uh, the GP grind. It's a lot harder than SCGs. SCGs I find to be fun, entertaining, casual, and I can, you know, I'm not I'm not really stressing about a players uh, championship, but with 
with the pro tour, it is always a grind to stay on and it's a full time job. And, um, you know, I, I was going to, I was going to hang that up anyway. So, um, I, I really did it because it was like a piece of the game dying for me that I was not willing to kind of let go quietly. And I wanted to make sure that I did everything in my power to, um, fight for those, those young bloods coming up and having, having them have a shot, um, to, to kind of take the same road that I took to get where I am. So. All right. We're, we're, we're going to let you rest, my man. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. And, uh, and I'm out. Giving, Thank you, giving, everybody. Giving Always a pleasure. KYT. Uh, actually, actually, one thing. Some people have still have WP and Q finals, so they can still play your Esper list or no? What are you advocating here? Yeah, I think it's really good. Um, I think that you have to be confident that your metagame is 70, 60 to 70% food. And if it is, it's great. If there's a bunch of black red sacrifice, and uh, if that um, people are playing the cat deck, you're gonna have to add um, Aetherab solutions in your sideboard. But there's there's ways to beat anything with Oko and keeping Esper strong. But any deck that your Noxious Grass is not good, like Elise deck or uh, black green or black red sacrifice, then I was getting smashed. With crossplay Esper, like any mono red, anything random like that, you're gonna get cooked. But <laughs> if you're confident that it's a bunch of food, um, <clears throat> no, my I think it's really good, and you can you can find it on one of my uh, a few articles back. You'll see my Esper list; it hasn't changed much. All right, all right, definitely check that out. If you guys have one more important standard tournament before this will inevitably uh, change, uh, thanks, Gene. Thank you for coming on. No right. problem. Good night, guys. Um, we're going to get Andrew Huska on soon enough, uh, a friend of mine who top 16, the latest MC, but I do want to have some airtime between me and John so John can plug his stuff. Like last week, last minute, right before the Friday pioneer online tournament, uh, you're like, KYT, I, I got this battle plan for our patrons, uh, for anyone who wants to compete at anything relevant in pioneer early going, you got a mono, you were talking a big game about big mana and you delivered a mono green ramp deck. Someone, a listener, a patron, decided to take it, I guess, cold, because we had released it like either the morning, I think the morning of or, or the night. And he almost, he lost his win in, in a huge, it was huge. It was a huge online tournament. Um, in terms of size, I think he said it was like several hundred players, right? Like 300 something? I believe it's 300 plus, and I believe it was the PTQ as well. So pretty high stakes. Pretty high stakes. That deck performed, and I've been telling the, my patrons, our, our patrons, to play it, especially since it looks like you don't have Veil of Summer in this deck. It doesn't need it. So it's still uh, good. So tell us about that deck and how surprised or, or, or glad that, that one of our patrons almost qualified for the player's tour with it. Well, let me tell you, you're always very pumped every time you work, like, when someone takes your work, like, reads it and, like, like, makes use of it and, like, does anything, like, really productive with it. So I was very happy to hear, um, I believe uh, his name was PT2Art online, but he, uh, he almost made the top eight of the PTQ, I believe. Um, just as a side note here, like, I, I only really write cyborg guides and battle plans if I really uh, feel very strongly about it. And my my, uh, my battle plans have a pretty good track record. I would think, like for example, like the dredge uh, deck that I did a battle plan for. Um, if you recall, I won the Star City Games after uh, event after in Vegas um, when I felt very strongly about Mono Red. Uh, for example, I was um, 
I felt very strongly enough to uh, write about it. And uh, my friend Marcus won the PT, uh, PTQ in Seattle, as well as a few of our patrons um, winning, uh, top eighting uh, their respective uh, PTQs with the Monored Guide. And uh, last last Thursday, I uh, I was I kept testing with um, uh, sharing ideas with like noted online grinders like Tangrams, our friend of the podcast as well as kane reinhardt uh, a good a very good um star city uh star city games grinder they were all on uh, mono green uh ramp and i feel very strongly about it i had an 80 percent ish type of win rate and thought i just read about it and lo and behold it also worked out as well and to continue this uh, tradition a bit um i i also felt very good about the neoform deck that i was going to play at the local 4k so i actually did a very uh very thorough battle battle plan on Friday, which I believe uh, our uh, editor can uh, KYT here can tell tell you guys uh, when uh, guys and gals when they'll be out. But uh, lo and behold, uh, at the 4K hosted by Geek Fortress last weekend, I went undefeated in the Swiss and lost in the quarters, but still a very good result. So yeah, I'm, it's uh, definitely pumps me up every time uh, people make uh, good use of my work. I'm very happy that uh, he uh, he did very. So here, here's the really interesting part here. Like clearly, Watsi really wants to uh, make Pioneer a real thing, as evidenced by the support on the Pro Tour as well as the GP level. And today it was announced that um, there's actually going to uh, install a week or a week plus of everyday daily uh, PTQs in Pioneer. So in addition to the Friday PTQs that was already announced for November in Pioneer, I believe starting at the end of this month, there's going to be daily Pioneer RPTs, uh, PTQs online. So for those who have time and who wants to grind, it's going to be a great opportunity for you guys to show your medal um, in Pioneer. And, you know, this is like one of my favorite things in games, I guess. Like there's a new game or there's a new meta game or a format. And, you know, you work hard to, uh, you work hard to really solve an uh, unsolved um, meta game, which I, uh, I think I've been doing a pretty good job of, and uh, hopefully we can continue doing that. I can hope to spike one of those daily PTQs. Um, any, any change? Like, is it by me? You don't mean daily as in every day, right? Is it like I'm, I'm every day? What? Every day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday, I've got to be misreading. I've got to mis misreading. I mean, I, I guess you're like uh, boss. I gotta take a. <laughs> I saw the Pioneer format. I'm gonna take the week off. I mean, this is like an actual it's just hilarious because it could be an actual reason to take like the whole week off because sometimes you might not want to take a week off because for one tournament but uh this one you, you get to play five i guess to try to cash in yeah exactly and one thing i liked uh, uh i liked what wizards did which was like before those people who are living in north america um knows that we're blessed with reasonable times start times for ptqs this time they varied it uh, quite um Quite a lot. Like some of them are 9 a.m. Pacific, some of them are 10 p.m. Pacific, some of them are start at midday to cater to like the global audience. So even though it sucks for us because generally like the PTQ start at 9 a.m. or like 10 8 a.m. Pacific time, which is great for us. Um, I mean, some of them are starting at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. But these European and Asian grinders have had to do that already. So um, I'm happy that it's accessible to more people, even though it doesn't advantage us. Man, so. Is the next one this Friday? So there's one Friday. I got I got this page here. So this was a Magic Online uh, announcement. 
So what I'm looking at is like, uh, uh, they've noted that you, we love Pioneer and there's a lot of energy and hype. So they're going to add from, so every it's going to be every Friday for the next few weeks. And starting on Monday, November 25th, there's going to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven straight PTQs starting from Monday through to the Sunday. And uh, there's even going to be two PTQs for those degenerates on November 29th. There's one at 10 a.m. Pacific and there's one at 11 p.m. at night. And then uh, on the Saturday of, there's a 7 a.m. one. So theoretically, you can play three PTQs within 24 hours, which is pretty, pretty frigging uh, degenerate. But, you know, if I was younger and I didn't have a job, I would totally do it and try to grind out a PT. <laughs> So any change, any necessary changes on the mono green ramp list or not yet? Yeah, so I've been talking to some like pretty smart players here. Um, Dom Dom Harvey made a pretty good, a friend of the podcast made a pretty good point about how he was wondering whether the deck was inherently good, whether it's structurally well built, or whether it's trained on the other decks in inefficiency. And I think it's a little bit of both. And the last point I think deserves a, a bit more. Um, a bit more explanation. I think the reason why Is It Phoenix was a really good deck for week one, but hasn't made any noise thereafter, is because there was a facsimile um, with the modern modern deck, and people knew generally how to build deck. So that is a big advantage in week one because like most of the other decks are garbage or like are not like optimally built, like even to like fifty percent optimality. Uh, and as we have. Uh, two or three weeks that have passed, like people are starting to figure out, people are streaming, people are being resourceful on uh, social network and co collaborating with people like ha like uh, halfway across the world and all that to optimize these lists. Uh, Is a Phoenix uh, has been exposed as one of the most more lower power level decks out there for this ramp ramp strategy. I think the thing it's trying to do is very powerful still. Like turn four uh, Ugin or Ulamog is always going to be powerful, especially in Pioneer. I think it does have very, uh, very uh, glaring blind spots, such as um, the bad matchup against aggro because it doesn't have a lot of interaction. That's going to be exposed more and more um, as the format gets solved. So my, my opinion is like, we've gone to a red splash for Dragonlord Atarka as well as Rookthar, the Unbowed, for Combo and Nexus. And I think those changes are pretty good. And I think the um, the deck is going to have its uh, spotlight as a Tier 1 deck for at least one or two more weeks. And as the format gets more and more solved, I believe that the deck may fade into the uh, Tier 2 pretty soon. But right now, I'm still very happy jamming the uh, ramp deck. All right, sweet, sweet. Um, I'm going to get... Andrew, in, in a bit here, uh, just answer a question on Facebook I got from Neil Sobretto, um, who said, Hi, KYT, any plans for more team events or multi-format events? I mean, I don't think we've ran much over the years since we had the face-to-face uh, -face games uh, tournament series. I don't know if he's talking about at the local level or at the, at the higher level. I think uh, we're going to be announcing parts of our schedule tomorrow around 5 p.m., Eastern around that time. Don't uh, quote me on that, but we will be releasing an announcement tomorrow uh, concerning the first half of the F2F tournament series or tour um, in 2020. Of course, it's going to. I mean, SCG came out with their thing, and we're not we're not going to steer too far away from from what they're putting out, which 
which means that you should expect a lot of modern as usual, but some pioneer, and we are going to look into Ooh. team team events uh, because I think they are. I mean, SCG is doing it, and they've had success with it. We've had success when we did it the few times we've done it, and we're even starting to do it at the local uh, Montreal store. We have one on December fifteenth, which will be non-unified modern, which I think it's just the easiest to to jump into and start with, just because the whole unified thing. I mean, I don't think people like you just want to be able to get two other modern uh, passionate players and, and just have them be your teammates. You don't have to like worry about like having to split cards and stuff. So, uh, but I mean, next year we might be seeing a lot of, uh, if it's popular, standard modern pioneer team events. So that's something to definitely look out for. Um, as I try to get Andrew in here, that's hype. I'm looking forward to seeing more pioneer opens team, team events. It's also very, it's cool in small dosages, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, what's that other thing I wanted to mention? Oh yeah, the, the I had to plug the open pluses. There's three starting with one in about I think two weeks in Toronto. The first one's either this weekend or or the next weekend in Toronto. I I believe it's this week. Um, where the winner, I guess it wasn't clear, uh, but the winner gets gets an invite to the players tour. Um, actually, the tournament site is currently broken, so I'm gonna have to fix this after the show. But uh, the next one should be. In Toronto, winner gets a player's tour. I think the the, the reason I, I emphasize this is someone in one of the uh, discussions were like asking, "What who wins the player's tour?" It wasn't clear that the winner of the tour of the main event was going to make the player's tour, but uh, that's what it is, and uh, it, should, it should be super hype. I mean, there's also going to be one uh, Vancouver Open Plus in Dece on December seventh. I got the uh, uh, my calendar marked already, and you know, I talk. I know a lot of people, players and grinders from the Seattle area, and you know, even some of them were already like already notified, and they'll be coming up as well. So it should be a pretty good event. You know, like Warren's so excited by Pioneer, he actually messaged me. He's like, "What are the odds that uh, you know we can change?" The, the the summer event to modern uh, to pioneer. I'm like Warren. It's pretty. You know, we're pretty close to December here. We're not gonna pull an SDG and change uh, <laughs> change something uh, very close to the event. I mean, it's it's not as prestigious. Uh, well, actually, it is kind of in its own way. It's an open plus. It's not just a regular open. Winner does qualify for the players tour, uh, but but at the same time, I think we're too close. And I think BC still has a good modern crowd and. Uh, I was telling them there's a good chance we will, well, 100% we're returning to BC next year. And uh, good chance it's it's, it's going to be Pioneer. There's a chance. I, we're going to look to explore, of course, different uh, communities. I mean, uh, people, at, uh, there's, there's always a divide. There's people who ask for Pioneer events or more events. But then, like, when we do host in the, uh, like a free side event, not enough people show up or, or like, the... It reminds me of when my friend Jay from my other podcast gets a lot of people telling him to stream, myself included, and then when he does stream, no one actually watches. So it, what people say has to like match to the reality. And uh, despite like the, a lot of noise about Pioneer, it's not really clear that uh, it's going to be popular. And another thing, when we did make, uh, we made a few Facebook posts saying we would make an announcement tomorrow on the whole F2F tour, the new new tour. People were like, I hope 
we keep Legacy or F2F continues to support Legacy as opposed to SEG, we'll kick them out. But we haven't had, I think we've had one Legacy event maybe. We've never actually supported Legacy on the face face games tournament series so it's like what are you even talking about what's going on but uh we might we so there's a lot of noise and we want that to be like it has to be reflected in re reality it can't be like three four five players like shouting really loud and making us think that there is a market out there when there really isn't but uh we're, we're definitely going to try to look out for for people like the legacy players who want uh an outlet for for some sort of competitive play and we're going to be looking at the cities specific cities where that has a uh, growing audience for sure we, we will we're not like uh, basically we're not shutting down the blinders and, and not caring about what people are saying but we will uh, adjust as we go so which is a great thing about uh, the people overseeing the series I, I just advertise I'm not the the and I give I relay some of the feedback but uh, definitely not the huge decision maker on everything so joining the show i mean andrew you can have your camera on video on if you want i don't know if it's well set up but joining the show someone a friend of mine for years probably met him at the beginning of when i started man of deprived near the 2010 so probably eight to nine years or roughly that mark um became friends with him and uh it's great to see that he took a break came back when i met him at when I went to Calgary for the first time for Magic Fest Calgary, he had success there. He top aided, losing, I believe, memory might be uh, escaping me. I think he lost in top four against Attila Fur, or or not, but lost in the top four. That, that is correct. That is correct. I lost to Attila in top four. And and then like continued on from there to top sixteen, the latest Mythic Championship. He's always asked me to be on this show, even though he was more than welcome. It just didn't line up right. But uh, welcome, finally, to the show, my man, Andrew Huska. Oh, it's glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me, finally. It's, it's great to hear your voice. And uh, remind me, what would you play at, uh, at the GP again? Like, Is It Phoenix? Yeah, that's correct. Play Is It Phoenix. So, though I must say, Carr, you know, you, you talk about 2010 like it was yesterday. <laughs> We're old, right? <laughs> like, like, I was in my teens still. Like that was a long time ago, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a whirlwind of the last like half a year, six months, seven months. So yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's true. I mean, when we think about like like the A team podcast, the reason like all a lot of us are during that period of time are connected with Scott and Jay. Um, they they have moved on to to other endeavors, or or Jay has decided to to get married and have a kid. So where I whereas I have been. Um, it's kind of rare. I've I've stayed basically constant since uh, 2010, and you've come and gone. Uh, you've you've sort of, I guess I you wouldn't call it a comeback, would you? It's like uh, you, you you had time. It was you said it was a local Magic Fest, so you decided to play it. Yeah. So basically, like after 2014, I kind of just had different priorities in life. You know, mm -hmm. took um started focusing more on work and you know being an adult that kind of nonsense and with calgary happening to be like literally an hour drive from my house i ended up attending it you know i did very well despite maybe not preparing the best and um from there you know it kind of re-sparked that fire that i remember having when i was younger and like really trying to like get on the train you know qualify for pro tours you know 
that Grand Prix uh, grind again. Mm-hmm. And so from there, you know, unfortunately I wasn't able to attend Barcelona. Um, was fortunate enough to get my invite deferred to Richmond. And then when it came to Richmond, you know, I had a really good deck, you know, had, so, had some great team members, including Andy from First Strike, and was able to, you know, play good and run better, as they say, and put up a very good result, which now has kind of led to more avenues where Magic's going to take on a probably a little bit bigger role than I would have thought going into Richmond considering Richmond was probably going to be my final event for a long time <laughs> <laughs> as it the story normally goes. Right, right. You know, it was one of those starting to get into poker more and, you know, other things where it's like, well, even with, you know, Watsy changing their organized play, it, there wasn't a lot of incentive to continue trying to play consistently. So, Man. yeah, it's been, a, it's been a weird week, a weird week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm starting to get tired of the the whole the Strasky angle, like the <laughs> the like the fact that even the main MTG account on Twitter keeps repeating that that joke. Oh, this is gonna be like <laughs> the, the retirement joke's gone too long, um, to the point where I'm not really sure um, if if you know varying degrees. I'm sure for you it was it was probably or definitely serious, but. I remember having lunch. I had lunch with Alex before he flew to Barcelona to win his PT, and he told me that that was his final tournament. So, um, yeah, <laughs> hard to say what, it, how often that happens. It, it's almost like it's too much to be a coincidence at this point, right? <laughs> like, because like, I hear the story all the time, too, where you know, somebody's just like, oh, yeah, I'm done, I'm done playing Magic, and then... Like two weeks later, it's like, oh, you you top eight in an event and you're uh, back playing every day, huh? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I am. And you're like, yeah, I, I get it. Like, it happens. So, so I don't know if the key is like Andy said. I don't know if the key is actually meaning it when you actually mean it and you quit. Like, like what are the chance? Like John Stern. John Stern finally says he's like KYT. I'm gonna fulfill your dreams and wishes. I'm finally gonna quit. I'm like, great. And then he gets an invite. He gets a free invite to Phoenix, and he, he's back in. But okay, let, let's go yeah, back. He's, he's just locked in now, and it's like, yep, here we go again. <laughs> yeah, here you we go again. Let, let's go to you. What, what's your what's what, your? Uh, did you have a question? Well, I was gonna say one thing I that I feel like adds to it, and where like you say that and you mentally prepare for that, and then the event itself, they're like. For Richmond, there was zero pressure or stress for me, right? Right. Sitting down for even that first draft, there was no jitters, there was no nerves. It was just like, okay, here's here's what I practice limited. Here's where my mindset's going into here. Here's how I'm going to draft, and I just did that. Same with constructed. It was, this is my matchup. This is how I approach this matchup. This is what I want to do, and you just started playing and like seeing your lines, and it wasn't. There was no other nonsense to kind of blur your vision or change your mindset of what was going on. It was, it was very just, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm approaching this event. And it actually like felt really good to not have any pressures or stress on how well I was doing. So maybe, maybe that adds to it. Like There's that mental side to it that just allows people to play to the best of their ability 
and not have to have anything else like weigh on them so much so they can just focus on the task at hand. Right, right. So that's what I wanted to get into. Well, that leads up to it also because you're talking about it's, it's low stress, low pressure during the tournament. Then uh, what I wanted to ask you was like, what, how did your prep look like then? Were you like willing to give up, given to putting in a lot of work for what would have been your final tournament or were you more lax in terms of your prep? Uh, it was a little bit of column A and B. So up until Sunday, I had played maybe two matches with the food decks. And I was basically just working on Green Black Adventures because I really like to play patterns of the deck and I was very comfortable with it. And I put a ton of work into the list. And on Sunday, the rest of the team was just like, hey, pretty sure we're just playing Simic Food. Like it's it crushed the GPs the weekend before and it just it was beating the mirror. And I went through my notes of testing, which I had put about 85-ish matches with. And I realized my win percentage against Saltai Food and Simic Food was only about 52%. So then, you know, we got a list. I played about 10 matches with it and then played the event. In which even my sideboard plan changed, like, in round five of the tournament. <laughs> So I, I, are you saying so? Was it an adequate amount of prep you would say at the end, or no? <laughs> uh, for for where I hold myself and like the amount of work I'm going to put into Phoenix and future events moving forward, no. <laughs> like hundred matches may sound like a lot, but really it's it wasn't a lot. I could have done way more drafts than I did. Um. So while I had like a good base of what was going on, I didn't. I didn't prepare to the best of my ability. Okay. So that that to me is like not good enough moving forward. Right. So you mentioned like a bit of standard prep, hundred matches, but but your cyborging changes throughout the tournament in, in round five. Uh, what about the the draft, which is like similar level of prep or, or lower or higher? Uh, draft draft I was actually pretty comfortable with, and I didn't focus too much on it once I kind of figured out where it was where I wanted to be which was mostly monocolor or like majority one color splashing another with like a 12-5 mana base similar. And I like being aggressive in this format where a lot of people are just trying to be slow and dirtily. Mm-hmm. And if you just go wide, there's not a lot of catch-ups in the format. And so having that kind of knowledge base, it was it was very easy for me to like kind of execute that plan uh, I identified that white would be underdrafted a little bit, and I ended up being white and finding my seat very well in both the drafts. Um, however, blue was very underdrafted, and I think people who honed in and targeted blue earlier would have been better suited in both the seats that I was in in my two draft pods. So like, I could have done more prep there and probably walked away with a better limited record than I did. But I was very happy with the amount of prep I put into Limited and the results I got from it. I mean, you, you did excellent. How, what was your record after day one? Uh, after day one, it was 6-2, and then I 6-2 day two as well. Did you do better in Constructor and or Limited? Limited, I 2-1. Uh, so, sorry. So, for Limited in day one, I 2-1 my draft. Okay. And then Limited day two, 
I one-twoed my draft with an asterisk because I conceded instead of drawing in the final round of my draft. Oh. Yeah. So, looking back on it, it it potentially cost me a top eight, but I don't I don't want to think about it that way. Like. Right. Right. The session at the time was due to that's what would have happened had we had like another minute literally like another minute of our match i would have lost that game right and i feel like it's much better for and this is the lesson i think to most magic players where like yeah i can understand drawing there because a draw keeps us both in top eight contention but at some point like if i was in that situation on the other side it would like you put that karma out that you would want to have happen to you in the future and i think that it was it was just the better decision overall life ev where it's like yeah you know what i felt comfortable conceding at the time even though it was a draw like it was you know my opponent attacked me on turn five of turns and you know it wasn't enough to kill me but like my opponent has one more turn i'm dead i'm gonna concede like it's not it's one of those things where i would I'm much more comfortable conceding that spot than I am just like taking the draw and like feeling I got lucky to, you know, squeak out that matchup. Mm-hmm. And, and, and like you, and I love the way you think about it because especially like after that, the, the pairings would have been completely different. Who knows what would have happened. And uh, for you to ring off, uh, basically then you, you wrong off five wins with your standard deck. Yeah. So I had, um, not not a brag here, but I did have the best constructed record in the tournament for the Swiss at I, nine and one. That's hot. I think that's pretty hot. Oh, and... yeah. So, and to your point, like it matches in the draw bracket would have might, might have just been a nightmare. Mm-hmm. You know, I probably don't play against the two Grawl decks in the last two rounds that I played against. Um, yeah. So it was it was fine. Like I. Looking back on it, I'm very comfortable with my decision, and you know I don't regret not, mm-hmm. you know, conceding in that spot. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd be extremely happy if the result was a top 16 finish. I'll tell you that. Um, despite despite the the more work could have been done, what's your current take on on standard then for people who are looking who still have like an important tournament like a WPNQ uh, finals that. Like for one, that's happening in Toronto. In uh, there's a preliminary left this Sunday, and then there's a there's a finals the, the weekend after. I don't expect like the format will be the same. So for people still with one key important tournament to qualify them for Phoenix with the best constructed record in the tournament, what's your take? Uh, well, one, I really like Simic Food. I think it attacks the metagame in a in a way that is hard to counteract. Just because of the raw power of Goose, Oko, Wicked Wolf, Nissa, Hydroid, Krasis, Once Upon a Time. Like, that that green core is just too strong to really want to deviate from. I would I would start there. I would start with the Cynic deck, or the which deck I think is the best in the tournament, and probably the best in the format for the few weeks that we still have it as it is, would be uh, Team Masterop's um, Saltai Cat Food deck. With okay. the trail of crumbs and the main deck murderous riders, like, like I, I was very fortunate to squeak past that matchup once in the Swiss, and you know I, I said it today on my Twitter account, but like that was in my opinion the best deck in the room, 
and honestly probably just the best deck in the format. Like I think they actually broke it and you know, I'm surprised one of them didn't top eight. I know one of them got into got eighteenth in Mark Jacobson. I don't know exactly where the rest of them fell, but I know he was saying on Twitter today that they had a like a seventy ish win percent uh with that deck, and that doesn't surprise me. It was it was just a nightmare to play against. They had everything that the food decks were doing well as well as having this engine that was both card advantage and just life and drain and inevitability. So those these would be the two angles I would take to attack it. If you have the time to get the mechanics going, I would suggest the cat food deck, but you do need a lot of reps with it to not only finish on time, but make sure you're playing at a optimal enough level to actually like take advantage of the power of the deck. That's really interesting. Um, do, do you think this is... Uh, I haven't really kept tabs on, on what's going on on, on everywhere, uh, but I, is this going underlooked, even with Mark Jacobson tweeting it? I think, like, if if you uh, play at the local level, maybe you take people by surprise, even. I, I honestly do think so, because it didn't put up a top eight, and it wasn't super flashy, and... A lot of that, I feel, has led to less people like being almost suppressed with people talking about it, mm-hmm. where playing against it and watching other members of their team play the deck, it was like, wow, this is, this is something that is attacking the format completely different, that is very hard to interact with. You know, you're, you're going to need things like Vivian, Questing Beast, you know, Trample, basically, to get through the inevitability, and they have, like, Murderous Riders and Noxious Grass for the cards that actually matter, so... No, I think their deck was uh, very well built. Uh, Mark Jacobson did have a thread on it of like how he would sideboard and stuff like that, so that would be a good reference point to start with if you're looking to play that deck. Okay. Man, uh, and when it comes... That's great. Sorry, go ahead. No, I mean, I was like, wow, that's that's great <laughs> that he, ha- he has sideboard notes also. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like sideboard guides just hole in hole, but uh, at that point, like, for an MPN qualifier... And, you know, people trying to get to Phoenix, I think it's a really good starting point. Hmm. Um, I have never been in, in your spot where uh, I'm playing for top 16. And I'm not, I, I mean, you've you've basically made it where, uh, made it pretty far, I would say, at, at the GP level, right? But I, I neither have I. I haven't done that. So how was it? Uh, in terms of mentally, what were how were your nerves like at the later stages of 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 not remind me of like that GP that you did really well in and and, and you know one match away from from top sixteen? Were you nervous? Were you lax as you said you would be? Uh, so really interesting. Looking at the pairings or the standings going into it, I actually was pretty sure I was playing for seventeenth. Uh, like I did the math, did, me and uh, one of the teammates I was working with, Mike, we did the math and it's like, yeah, it looks like I'm playing for like 17th or 18th. And maybe if my breakers swing right, I get 16th. So instantly there, it's not like, oh, I'm playing for top 16. It was like, okay, well, I should probably just play. Uh, and then Javier Dominguez sits down across from me playing Grawl. And at that point, it was like, hmm. I had a good run this tournament. Let's just play our last round. And I lost game one, which was a trend. I lost eight game ones in Constructed. Okay. And 
then, you know, game two, I was able to win. He, like, flooded out a little bit and um, made a play where he tapped out to not kill my, not be able to hold up his Bone Crusher Giant that I knew he had uh, when I had a 2-2 Crisis in play. And tapped and made my Crisis a 5-5, which traded with his Questing Beast the next turn. And, like, I was able to win the game from there. And then game three, I was able to pull ahead with... Uh, Bronto Dawns and Wicked Wolves. And, you know, I just grinded it out, and then I, I ended up winning, and it's like, oh, wait, like, I went 5-0 in Construct today. That, that's really cool. So I guess to the long-winded way of answering your question was there was there was a lot of nerves sitting down, but it was for, like, okay, like, this is what's happening kind of thing. And then afterwards, it's like, oh, cool, like, I guess I got 17th or 18th, you know, that's it's kind of a big pay jump. Hopefully my uh, breakers, like, improve a bit. And then seeing final standings finally come down, it's like, oh, cool, I actually made top 16. Wait, did you finish but on 16? I got 15th. Okay, 15th, okay. Yeah. And shout out to Robert Smith, who got 11th, I believe, as well. Fellow uh, Albertan, who put up a really good re- uh, result this weekend. So what, what's what's the what's the main takeaway for for some of us who might feel like they have nerves to not look at the standings? Is that is that the takeaway? <laughs> um, it's interesting. I I've worked very hard on my mental game the last few years, and a lot of that stuff just doesn't bother me anymore. Okay. So to to recommend this to a lot of people, like. I would I would just focus on what you're doing at the task at hand, you know. Focus on your process, not the result, and just play your match. You know, yeah, you, if you win this match, you might make top eight. That might be your first top eight in a PTQ or something. Or, or yeah, you're playing for day two, or you're playing to be undefeated on day one of a GP, or you know, all those things. But ultimately, you just need to play your games first, and what's going to happen after that, like you can only control so much. Right. So control what you can control and the other stuff's just going to happen. You put yourself in the best position to succeed. Well, if you keep doing that, you're going to succeed, right? Your good habits incorporate, you know, getting lucky or positive swings of variance. So I... that, that would be my recommendation is to not overthink, not, o- not overthink, but, Focus on what's important in the moment and let the tertiary stuff figure itself out. I like that. And I, I want to give you an extra compliment because you defeated someone that uh, my dear friend Alex Hayne considers the current best active player in the game right now and having Dominguez and you beat him to make it to top 16 to finish 15th. So big props to you, my man, on that. Thank you. He is he is a master. <laughs> Like he is good. It is it is intimidating playing him. And I I I just sat down, I was like, oh my goodness. Like sideboarding for game two where he just rolled me and you're like like I know my plan, sideboarding, and you're just like, Man, this guy's gonna just stomp me right now. It's not even close. Um who who did you work with and, and how do you intend to like is there any changes in terms of your, your prep? I guess your next big tournament might be Phoenix. But uh, who did you work with, and, and would you change anything? Uh, so I worked with a bunch of Canadians. Um, 
the exact list I'm going to pull up right now. But it was Andy from First Strike. Huge shout-out. Guy's a gem. Uh, Sean Dollywall. We had... We had uh, Andrew Robert Abella, Adrian Zhu, Rob Smith, Sean Gifford, Andrew Fielder, Dom Harvey, Zane Mitchell, Jordan Berkowitz, and there was a few others. Jeff Swalock, uh, Mike uh, Vals, uh, Pedram Syed, uh, Nam Dang from Vancouver, Daniel Fournier, Man. Jordan Berkowitz, like it was it was a good group of Canadians. Yeah, that... every notable Canadian. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them, right? So it was it was a pretty good team to have um, have a sounding board off. Like we had this giant group chat that we were working with, and uh, like I said, I didn't do as much testing actual games with them as I would have liked. Mm-hmm. Most of most of my limited prep and my constructed prep were done on Arena and. Um, MTGO, but aside from that, like they were a great group of people. It was a great sounding board to have, you know, throwing ideas off. A lot of the lists that we had working on, we were able to refine a lot and have a pretty good snapshot of the metagame. We kind of nailed a lot of things right in doing so. And I mean, uh, with a few other swings, we would have had a lot of other good finishes, you know. I know uh, Dolly Wall got a little unlucky to end up 8-8. You know, 8-8 still a really good record at a pro tour. Like, these guys are all insane. Like, it, they're all all very, very good players. So, I, I was very happy with the, the team itself. Good chance and, uh, you run it back, I guess? Like, or some, some form, whoever's qualified, I guess? Well, well I mean, we can't... We can't neglect beastie boy brett Steele. i i will be working with him no matter what like that's my boy um i heard he showed me out too which i never heard and you know, he did he did just got to make sure I, I keep the keep the people what they give the people what they want right 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 uh but for the most part yeah i wouldn't be opposed to working with them again i definitely want to put more prep into limited because I think that is a underutilized spot in uh, bigger events, and not just Pro Tours, but Grand Prix and like the limited portions. I think you can take advantage of if you have a better, if you just play more and have a really good understanding of it. So, yeah, it's a it's a good team, and a lot of really smart people too. Mm-hmm. A lot of good ideas in there. So. We're gonna, we're gonna wrap up the show, Andrew. But uh, it it would be a disservice to to John if we, while having you here, not to discuss because you plan to switch to poker. And I want to mention that both John and I, in as we're like old grandpas, but during our time in our peak prime, we had we had <laughs> moments in our life where we made it uh, possibly our full time job or living. We wanted to give it a go. Uh, it didn't. It didn't turn out as well as we would have liked during that prime time, but uh, it sounded like you were were grabbing towards going back to to the game and taking it more seriously. Uh, is there anything you want to tell us? It would be interesting combo for. And I see John smiling as he, he talks, as he reminisces about the Chris Moneymaker days. Well, I mean, if John wants to ask any questions, so <laughs> I'm all all here for it. Uh, 
you know, I, I actually caught the bug again because my best friend, who used to play Magic, transferred full-time to poker and has just been an online crusher for the last couple of years. Sick. And so, like, I've been starting to play poker more seriously, and I still plan on doing so because I just I actually actively enjoy the game, mm. even though it's very, very hard and it's not easy to start playing. Like, it's, it's very hard. It takes a very long time commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of just reading and understanding uh, variants and EV and your calculation of strategy and critical thought that all have just kind of played into Magic 2, and it has made it a lot easier to come back because, like you said, I took that I took a pretty fa- uh, I took a fairly long break from about 2015 to basically the start of this year, where I I showed up to events like local events every once in a while. But it wasn't. I didn't care, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't my. It wasn't on the front burner. And the things I've slowly been learning from poker, you know, have helped me transition again to be like, okay, well, now this is kind of where I'm going. This is what I want to accomplish with my goals, and it it's helped me have a just a better mindset in the game. So I don't know if that answered your question or. No, no, I just you need me to be a bit more direct with it. No, no, I mean it's just exciting for for. Okay, I'll let John speak for himself. John, like it's just, I think exciting for me. I'll speak for myself to to hear about people still uh, grinding and and falling in love or or still being in love with with the game that that really appealed to John at the time and and for John and me at the time and me even now time and time again I will I will jump back in or or see what's up. I mean I still watch Doug Polk videos. I still keep up to date with any of the poker stories from like my favorite podcast Joey Ingram and and. The, the Mike Possible stuff. Oh, yeah, stuff, shout, out, like... shout out Poppy for sure. <laughs> Poppy's the best. So... Mike, and the Mike Possible thing is nuts. Okay, so this is going to be a quick tangent. I know you want to wrap this show up, but the Mike Possible thing, wow, what what a great, like, 20 hours if you have the time to just watch the investigation. <laughs> because it's, it's, it's captivating. You can't look away. And, of course, it's Joey doing it, so you're – obviously invested we're like okay this guy's really funny really smart (laughs) like really engaging and entertaining but then there's this crazy poker story going on about how this guy just started cheating one day and then we have like exact moments from when he started cheating and like the lines he started taking and it just keeps going deeper and deeper and it's amazing it's it's one of the most fascinating stories to come out of (laughs) poker in years so it's just fascinating. Yeah. John, I'll let you jump in. Any, any questions for Andrew and any comments on, on poker? No, not really, Andrew, but uh, I, I think it's uh, – I, I certainly admire what you're, what you're trying to do here, and I hope uh, – I wish nothing but the best of luck here. As uh, KYT said, uh, I had some delusions <laughs> of grandeur. <laughs> delusions of grandeur. Trying to, trying, to, trying to grind to a living, you know, just it's fun. <laughs> Uh, I really like the game and whatnot, but uh, I decided against it. But you know, I, I do I do respect the people who are willing to put in the time. Um, I, I have noticed that um, it's more game like it's more game theoretical now, and some people are saying that people poker has already been solved, blah blah blah. But at the very least, it's like much more um, theoretical and just like much more like there's so much literature out there. It's like I, I feel like the games are much tougher nowadays, but. Uh, I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm sure you do very well and crush it. So uh, it, it's not for me anymore. I'm an old man, old has-been, but I hope you do well, man. 
Well, and one thing I'll say about the whole like poker as myself. Now, I'm I'm very uneducated when it comes to like high level level of poker, so I'm no expert on this, and maybe maybe it is, but it seems a lot like when people say standard is solved, and it's like that's not true. That like yes, it looks really bad, and yes, we should probably ban stuff, but a lot of people just don't want to put in the actual work it takes to figure out how to exploit a meta game or do something to change it and it's kind of where we're at now in you see it in magic where you know it, there's a lot more calling for bands and you know all oh, this this format's broken this card's broken etc 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 instead of because that's people are just homogenizing you know towards people playing the same thing over and over and over again and they're not actually trying to branch out and you know expand their the horizons of what the format could possibly uh, entertain. For example, the Trail of Mysteries card that was integral into the Salty Cat Food decks. It, nobody was talking about that card. Yet all of a sudden it comes up and it just is in this dominating Pro Tour deck. It's like, well, guys, the tools are there. Like, let's let's work towards actually solving things instead of just listening to the hive mind over and over again. Is is your is your friend playing live online? What what path are you taking? I uh, my friend is playing online only. Okay. And I am starting to dabble into that. Okay. I, I I'm not super serious into it yet. You know, I've, I've been doing just a lot of reading, and I'll try and play like a couple hundred hands a night if I can. Mm-hmm. But now, like I'm gonna start focusing more on magic. Uh, I want to get back and I want to start writing. Um, you know, I had, I had a very, very influential person this weekend tell me or ask me why I wasn't writing. And when I couldn't come up with a reason, you know, they kind of just looked at me and were like, see, and it's like, yeah, all right, you got a good point. So it's kind of just, there's a lot of pots on the burner and stuff now. <laughs> um, I asked, well, yeah, I'd be excited to see your writing and I wanted to ask live or online because, uh, hey, I mean, if your friend's been crushing the last few years live, it means that, you know, that's a positive sign that there's still uh, room to exploit. So that's cool if, if you do end up going hard in that direction. But seeing you also have magic as an avenue now and content creation and stuff like that, um, that that's really exciting. And I know like um, at Magic Fest Calgary, like Jay himself was rooting for you um, really hard. Like when we, when we talked, um, it just me and him, it was just private conversation, whether it be like on the way to the airport or just me and him at the event while we're just like watching you. Well, I didn't know this. He always felt that you were overlooked. And um, I felt like um, if anybody was a huge fan of you having success, uh, it would be him. Cause he, he just like, told me that it would make him feel really good if you did really well at Magic Fest Calgary. And uh, to see you not only finish uh, at Magic Fest uh, Calgary with a very, very strong showing and to do well at, at the MC, uh, I, I know like uh, Jay was ecstatic about it as well. Well, I mean, and Jay is like a hidden treasure, treasure of Canada. Let's, let's be real here. He is one of the most genuine people anybody would have the pleasure of knowing and meeting. And I, I don't say that about everybody, but he is truly like one, one in a million. 
He's a great individual. And I also have to shout out the Alberta community. Like, I would not be here without all just the amazing people we have in the community who, even if they're not the most technically good players or, you know, there's, there's, everybody adds to the pile and, like, the community is the main reason that a lot of us are still playing. You know, we're, we're not chasing millions or doing anything like that. It's, it's the community. It's about the gathering more so than it is about the magic. And so hearing things like that, you know, it really warms my soul to, you know, there, there are, you know, these legit people out here who are still, you know, rooting for people when, you know, they don't necessarily need to be. Right. So. Um, and we'll finish with that feel good moment. Um, hopefully we'll get you back on, on the show at some point, especially either before Phoenix or after Phoenix, once you crush that. Um, any, anything else, John? Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> anything else you want to add, John, before we get out? I'm good. You're good? You're good. Oh, okay. One last well, thing. One, one last thing about um, Simic Food and the list I played. Uh, if you are playing Simic Food, you should be probably playing two Vivians in your deck because that's how you're going to beat the cat decks. And that card is going to be very important. Mass Manipulation, well, good. Um, you're going to want to kind of go underneath them a lot. And the trample ability of Vivian, as well as being able to kill things like Edgewell Innkeeper and Opposing Planeswalkers, is integral to the success that you're going to have. So. Well, that's good to know. Good, good last tip from the man. And uh, with that... You know, we'll see you next next we'll see everyone next week, next episode, and uh thanks for supporting us and have a good one, gents. For sure. Have a good night.